This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe, the number is 94198377. You've been listening. Cities have the capability of providing something for everybody, only because and only when they are created by everybody. Jane Jacobs, The Death and Life of the Great American Cities. Gone those blues, pedalled away. Take a breath, bring down the cadence and step away from the bike. You're listening to the Yarra Bicycle Users Group radio show here on Radical Radio at 3CR. Many thanks to Amy Goodman, Amy Goodman and Democracy Now! That soap opera that is America. We've got a big show coming up and... I'm just going to, we're just going to slide straight into it. <laughs> Sharing the ride along with me this morning, Faith. Good morning, Faith. Good morning, Val. And good morning, Lauren, who's, we're going to talk about what women want today. Good as morning. far as bicycle infrastructure. <laughs> good morning and welcome along to the ride. Oh, a good show coming up. Um, I think that uh, quote from Jane Jacobs should slide us into actually <laughs> what is wrong with a lot of our infrastructure and what has not changed for a many a long year. Oh, Faith, can you lead us off with a bike moment? Um, I had a, an extended bike moment yesterday. We headed out to Gippsland and... Um, Many years ago, we rode the Great Southern Rail Trail from Leangatha to, I think it's Port Welshpool or Port Albert. I can't remember. Um, but since we did that, there's been some new sections opened up uh, and the official opening was on Saturday. So on Sunday, we rode Nyora to Leangatha for lunch and then back, which was um, very nice. Very incredibly pretty Gippsland pastoral, like rolling green hills uh, and yeah, yeah. picturesque cows nestled in little vales. The first and chapter in a long novel. Yes, <laughs> it was. It was very good. And a bit of sunshine, but quite cool temperatures. I'd had a cold the previous week, so I was. it was just um, what I needed to sort of blow out the, the cold cobwebs. <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
<laughs> Lauren, I might get you to go next because I'm a little bit down but today, so I'll leave it to the of end course. of the show. Yeah. yeah, well, I think mine pretty closely ties to what um, I'm here to talk about. We just came back from Vancouver and we had, we've got a project running partly in Canada and partly in Australia about bike infrastructure in 30-kilometre-an-hour zones. Um, so while I was there, I was super lucky to be able to jump on one of their shared bikes and go for a ride on some of the incredible infrastructure that is around yeah. Vancouver. Just beautiful, so well protected, connected, and they have this really fantastic kind of grid system where they have like dedicated bikeways and it's just like it's another road really. Like it, it was just unreal. Paired with the 30-kilometre-an-hour zones, it was I loved it. It was so peaceful <laughs> and to gosh. see the <laughs> diversity of bikes, it was real cool, really nice. Ah, it sounds like a bicycle utopia (laughs) (laughs) that we can only dream of. Oh, look, I'm going to sometimes struggle to find a bike moment. Sometimes life on a bike can be a little bit pedestrian the same. So um, one thing I have noticed is wonderful, this change of season, actually, on a bike. You really do notice that, especially in the mornings. Anyway... Part of my ride turned to three Sierras alongside Fitzroy Gardens, a little set of lungs just next beside the city. And I'm riding up that lovely quiet lane, beautiful old uh, elms on the left, the hoop pines on the, on the hoop pines on the left, the elms on the right. When what came past must have been, I think, the smelliest and noisiest truck. Oh, no, little van of all time. And it just brought home to me, actually, how much we've actually improved some things, but how much things have just stayed the same. I mean, all I could smell was unburnt fuel for the next two minutes. It was really an awful thing. But, you know, sun's still shining. You're right. Grass is greener. Hopefully. (laughs) 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 Oh, no. Well, it is interesting. There there was some research into... uh, the effect of that sort of pollution on people in traffic. Oh. And it found that people sitting still in a car, that has more impact on them than yep. the person cycling behind them. Behind them. Uh-huh. So, and possibly because you're moving. So, if you did have to be subjected to that, you were in the best possible, possible uh, position. Yeah. <laughs> I think the thing yeah. is with that, is it because bicycles sit higher than people in cars? I suspect it's because you're using your lungs a bit more. I suspect moving. there's a. And there's the, a the air quality within cars isn't that great. No. Well, no. and that's the thing. And those intake valves are at the front. Yeah. So the car yeah. in front of them is pushing that straight into uh, the car behind. Yeah. And then it's trapped there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sort of. exactly. Who would have thought? Cars are bad for you in a <laughs> lot of different ways. Um, a little bit of news. Says, look, I'll lead off first. Says, plans in Paris have had a vote, I think, not how binding is that they're going to ditch the uh, rental electric scooters. I think they had three deaths in 2022 and uh, nearly 500 hospitalisations. So they've created a bit of a storm in Paris. Yeah, a referendum that the mayor has said she will honour. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. And, I and, say and fairly that, substantial vote. Yeah, and this is the mayor that pushed through a lot of the bicycle lines in Paris mm. and is a big defender of the electric bicycles, which are not Mm. going anywhere. Mm. So interesting from there. 
Also in the news, there's last week submissions opened for a parliamentary inquiry into road safety behaviour and its impact on vulnerable road users in Victoria. Um, there's a fairly short time to get your submissions in. They're due May 19th. So that's definitely something worth um, thinking about. We'll put a link up with the podcast to that. But also if you Google road safety behaviour inquiry, yeah. you might find it. Um and I think it's important to mention submissions don't have to be, you know, often if you haven't done one before, you think it, it has to be some complicated document with a lot of facts and figures and, and research. And But it, it can be a simple account of behaviour you've noticed and its impact on you. And it could be, you know, the sort of thing you would email to a friend or um, yeah. something that is... An, an account of uh, how what you've observed and what its impact on you has been um, is more than yeah. enough. So to, it's open to yeah. every sort of yeah yeah yeah, and they're really important. Those personal stories, you know, I'm I'm sure there'll be submissions from you know lots of organisations, but having those individual yeah. stories are an important part of it too. That'll be interesting. Mm. Mm. Um. And that's it. And that's it. <laughs> so, look, we've got a big – this is a big topic, so we're going to um, – we're going to go and get – we'll have a message from Second Chance Cycles. And then when we come back, um, Lauren Pearson will really get stuck into actually how do we make good infrastructure and why we haven't got any at the moment. Yarrabug would like to thank our sponsor, Vacro's Second Chance Cycles, for their financial support. Second Chance Cycles is a fantastic community workshop that recycles bikes, trains people in bike mechanics, and sells bikes to the local community. If you have a healthcare card, they'll give you a bike free of charge. To find out more, search for Vacro online or drop into the underground car park, Harmsworth Street, Collingwood, any Tuesday or Thursday. And you're back listening to the Yarrabug Radio Show. Our guest today, as Val mentioned, is Dr. Lauren Pearson from the Sustainable Mobility and Safety Research Group at Monash University. Hello, Um And Lauren, I think we your research that was released last year was... Um, I think most people have probably heard of it. It was uh, some really interesting research into uh, who's interested in riding and what it would take. But more recently, you've just released research that really drills down into one part of that. Um, Tell us about what that's been. Yeah, of course. So after we did that first study that you've talked about um we found okay we've got this huge potential for bike riding in melbourne we've got three and four people across the whole city that are interested in doing it and we really needed to find out okay exactly what is it that's stopping them what is it that could um, enable them to ride and really quantify that so put some numbers to it but also hear their stories so really understand those underlying reasons about why they're reporting those things so we conducted a pretty big um called a mixed method study so series of surveys and in-depth interviews Um, and I originally went in with a plan of just looking at barriers and enablers of bike riding for everyone and then the gender differences in this were so stark 
that it was something that became really one of the major findings and something that we really reported on. So we ended up finding just massive differences in terms of the barriers that women were reporting for riding a bike where they were more likely to really report these concerns about riding on the road. So concerns about um, collision with motor vehicle with motor vehicles and the resulting injury but also harassment from drivers as well and so it's an interesting um i think if you've been overseas and and as particularly say the netherlands or some parts of denmark um or paris <laughs> you i mean living in the netherlands for years it what struck you was that most people on a bike are women and and they're doing the things that often certainly in the United States and in the past in Australia were reported as the barriers to using a bike. Like they're dropping off the kids, they're going and doing the shopping, all that sort of work associated around the house is what they get out on the bike to do. So, um, and that seems that that's been the case there for quite a while. So how come we haven't known this before? Yeah. Um, So we understand that basically women take different kind of trips than men. They use different kind of bikes sometimes as well uh, and have different types of needs in terms of the infrastructure that they feel comfortable on. The types of trips that women are more likely to make here are trips that are kind of multi-stop trips. So whether that's going to childcare on the way to work or whether that's going to a school or whether that's picking up shopping or anything else that they need to do on the way. We also know that those trips are more likely to be in more of a local area. So instead of being those direct home to the city commutes, um, really much more of those um local trips. So what you see in a lot of these other countries is that they have the infrastructure to be able to support those kind of local trips. So not only do they have a fantastic network of protected bike lanes, which is absolutely key to getting more women on bikes, but also a whole lot of other connections around those, particularly things like 30 kilometre an hour zones and low traffic neighbourhoods or whatever, the the same kind of term of low traffic neighbourhoods, their equivalents. So just wherever it's um, unattractive for a car to be able to drive down there so you see a bit less traffic. And and what was the difference between, um, like, what I notice is in, you know, in Australia we have this gender imbalance in who rides, but we're talking about a very small percentage of the population who ride. Um, And I notice, for example, if you look at the Dutch diaspora, most Dutch men aren't riding when they move to Australia. They, They stop too. So was yeah. there really such a big difference between what men said they wanted in order to be able to use a bike? Yeah, there was. So we saw more concerns about um, the distance, weather, these kind of things. Men also reported these barriers. So mm. it's not at all that we found that um, men weren't reporting these same safety-related barriers, still had these concerns. But we're looking at a huge, huge, a much larger proportion of women that were reporting yeah. them and saying, this is what completely stops me. Mm-hmm. And that really comes through in the number of women that we have riding a bike in Australia, which is, uh, what are we, two to one? So two mm-hmm. men to one woman for our cyclists. Um, we do know, and I do find this really fascinating, is that um, when generally what we see is when a country reaches 7% modal share, so that's 7% of trips made by bike, that that's when we start to see that equal 
gender yeah. participation or more women actually riding, as you were talking about. And that's, I think, what you see in areas like Marybeck or Yarra, where you, you are getting, for some trips, 12%, for some 8 and and you do start to see almost 50-50 in some areas. Exactly. Of, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And these kind of changes to our infrastructure, so things like protected bike lanes, things like considering, um, you know, lighting and areas where maybe people don't feel personally safe as well, these kind of changes benefit everyone. They don't just benefit women. This is not us saying... Um, you know, we're doing this just to support women and get more women to ride a bike. This is what they reported, but really they benefit everyone, whether that's men, children, older adults, mm. a whole range. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned um, in the bit that I was reading, the percentage of women in town planning or um, roles in Australia is not great, is it? It's pretty low, yeah. So it's um, transport engineering yep. is the... the kind of final sign-off for the planning stages. Um, So 15% in that field are women, so pretty low. Um, And while we can say, yeah, we need a bigger focus on getting more women in those roles, that's absolutely true. But we also just need to make sure that we're listening to what women need and amplifying and actually acting on those needs in those roles. So the men in those roles still have that um, opportunity and responsibility to do that as well. I find men often have a different perspective of what a safe path is. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really through kind of speaking to these women that we interviewed and identifying these things and thinking, oh, yeah, this is this is really something that's big for people that are interested, we could say interested but concerned, so kind of new to writing, a bit unsure about it. These are their concerns. And, if, for example, if I'm a person who rides, I ride every day, they're just not things that we think about. So everyone in those kind of planning, engineering roles, just making sure that there's some kind of method to be able to capture those perspectives mm. and needs and put them at the forefront of that decision-making. Yeah. And I think traditionally we often um, go and ask existing groups of people who cycle, but yeah. um, that is already a unproportional in in most areas of Melbourne. It, it, it's not representative of the broader community. It's and um, so it's finding how you can get people to respond who don't yet do that. Absolutely. I would say that people who um, are in bicycle user groups, for example, have uh, a great role to play in that by if you see any kind of research that says, you know, we're looking for uh, perspectives around bike riding or anything to do with that, tap on a friend that you know, tap on their shoulder, the friend that you know that doesn't ride Mm. a bike and maybe wants to and say, hey, do you want to fill out this survey? That is such a big help for us, definitely. Yeah, and it's something I think maybe um, councils have to, when they're often when they're looking for feedback on something they're about to do, and they'll ask the bicycle user group. And um, but finding ways, I know we've struggled with this sometimes. How where do we find those people who don't identify as a cyclist, but who would have valuable feedback on how this feels or looks to them yeah maybe that's something that the the engineers have to work a bit harder at definitely and they've got some great guidance to do so there's um the uh 
uh, Vic Health Values Based Messaging Guide. That mm-hmm. has absolutely changed the way that we are able to recruit and communicate with people who don't ride bikes but are interested in it. Um, so really, you probably notice I don't really talk about cycling or the no. cyclist and things like that. Um, I just say bike riding and like people who ride bikes, people who drive cars. Mm-hmm. Um, so really focusing on that person-centred language, that makes a huge difference in how people perceive what you're talking about. Yeah. Were there any substantial differences across Melbourne? So across the councils that we surveyed, we weren't able to look at the differences between those kind of mm-hmm. um strata they were um, because we didn't have the numbers to be able to do those comparisons robustly um, but hopefully in the future we'll be able to do so. Um, what we did notice was yeah it's just these massive differences by gender. There were some differences by age as well mm. um, but they really came through in the qualitative work which was fascinating and some really uh, novel and interesting insights about how people, say, for example, younger people overcome issues around maintenance um, and some of the barriers that older women particularly experienced. Um, Say, for example, older women were really wanting to ride with people for their Mm. first rides. They really wanted that other person to be there. So that role of community groups came in so much. It was so important and absolutely essential for them riding, Um, not only for their support and being able to say you know this is where you go this is uh how how it is that you ride on the road and these kind of things but also that they were a bit concerned about maintenance so not really knowing what to do if something happened to their bike uh so having that backup and support there was great yeah the um sorry you raised one of the other articles i'm going to change topic a little bit about the um I'm going to say the financial disincentive to buy an electric bike, you know, in that actually, and you mentioned, you touch on one of those things, maintenance there, which I presume is a big disincentive to a lot of people, especially when they <clears throat> invest a certain amount of money. Are there, are there moves in some councils to fix this? In terms of um, the I maintenance know, side? I know Yarra, say, have, for employees <clears throat> at Yarra, have a, a lease system for electric bikes oh for electric bikes yeah 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 so there are a few programs in different councils so there's one in port phillip i know that have um yeah council staff are able to use i believe they have an e-cargo bike or maybe an e-bike that they can use for site trips which is fantastic um what i was talking about in the article was really this basically uh e-bikes are able to overcome so many of these barriers that women report um but are really so out of reach for so many people. And we see globally, uh, we actually counted them, and I, I can't remember the number at the moment, but just hundreds of incentive schemes that were provided by government or- organisations, mm. businesses, not-for-profits, yeah. a whole range of different places, um, and really nothing available yeah. to the public in Australia, so really quite limited. It's yeah. quite perverse, actually. <clears throat> if I buy a dual cab, high-powered, one-tonne carrying truck and they call it a truck or a SUV I can claim the whole lot of that purchase back in depreciation in one year and if actually I paid a bit of tax a year before I can use a little bit of that purchase to actually then get a tax refund from the government yeah exactly you know figuring out how we can work bikes into that is absolutely 
essential for these people, um, particularly who live in outer areas or maybe live in areas where they're just not comfortable riding on a road on a regular bike. Maybe it's yeah. a bit hilly. Mm. Um, so essential for them to be able to take and, up this wonderful thing. Yeah, and the thing is, I mean, it's going to work. It's There's enough of the thin edge, thin edge of the wedge in, in there to actually kick it off. That's the interesting thing. It's really taken off. Was there a difference, like in the research, when um, people were saying they wanted to ride apart, separate from traffic, were were they making the distinction between a shared path and a protected bike lane? I know, I know, for riders I used to meet regularly who are in their seventies and older, shared paths had become quite scary because of dogs and toddlers and, and unexpected sudden things they would have to deal with. Um, and they were very keen on only finding routes where only bikes could use. Did that come up at all? Oh, yes. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I could have written a whole because other paper on Because we do rely on, on shared yeah. paths an awful lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it really came up in the qualitative stages, so it, in those interviews. And I, this is just why it's so important to go and talk to people, mm. um, think about the things that we aren't measuring. Uh, and this was one of them. So... A lot of people were really concerned about dogs particularly um, and a lot of shared paths do detour through off-leash dog parks, um, which is great. We need to have off-leash dog parks. They're important. Um, But maybe not the best location for a central bike route. Mm. Um, Also concerns about with shared paths, they've not only got pedestrians but feeling like, oh, if if something happens on my bike, I've got people behind me, I've got people in front of me, am I holding people up? Um, This is already a concern for a lot of women in public spaces, feeling like they're not able to take up public space and Mm. like they need to keep up and constantly move. Um, So it was just another added layer, another issue. And it also, when those paths were often quite crowded, and I'm sure you can remember a time recently when they were rather (laughs) crowded, um, the difficulty around navigating that with a bike when maybe you're not very confident on manoeuvring the bike and trying to turn it around properly. So yeah. often they've found that they were just completely avoiding those routes or not riding at all. Yeah. And we also have people who use bicycles um, sometimes because public transport or using a car isn't available to them. Um, like, you know, it might be because you have mobility issues, it might be because you have ADHD or sensory issues, um, you might be you know, legally blind. So being expected to navigate that very complicated sort of space um, is, an, uh, like you're talking about, another layer. Absolutely, on the- definitely. Plus all of the others, these other considerations that they need to take on board when they're riding a bike. Um, there's some really excellent work out of Uni Melbourne, uh, Dr. Rachel Tuvey mm-hmm. is doing fantastic work around disability and bike riding um, and how we can really make spaces for people with disability to be able to uh, ride in a safe and supported way in a way that they can enjoy it as well. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's yeah. just absolutely fantastic. I think sometimes the shared pathways actually bring out some of those. Um, it's a little mirror image of what happens on the road sometimes. The very vulnerable then become the targets of the ones that aren't the m- most vulnerable. Um, I think Yarrow had some stage planned to take away the centre line on some of those paths to try and stop this sort of my side of the rub path, your side of the path. I don't mm. think they ever got round it. But Interesting, I, yeah. So I th- find it especially on things like, 
you know, there are so many of the shared bike paths that have become overpopulated. Well, that's it. They only yeah. work in when you don't have a very large population of riders, especially using it. And and I think the the problem is you really get to a point, and and I know in Marybeck we talk about this a lot, where um, in you shouldn't be building more shared paths. Yeah. yeah. But the the reality is that while you cannot get the political will to build the bike path on the road, it, you're using creek corridors and those sorts of spaces where you don't want a proliferation of cement paths. Like you want to yeah. protect the environment and minimise the impact on it. So there's this real tension between expecting people to share a space that's not designed appropriately or is over-used. Um, mm-hmm. Mm. Just, you know, and and it could often be solved by building a protected bike lane on an adjacent road. Exactly. (laughs) Really tricky. And even for people that are walking on those paths. Yeah. Yeah. Realistically, you should be able to walk on a path by the creek with your earphones in. Yeah. That should be something quite normal. Yeah. It's enjoyable to listen to music. So having that concern about people coming up behind you on a bike and having to go past you, that's a real worry for a lot of people that are walking, particularly older adults. So we just need to be separated. We do not need that risk of injury and we don't need that um, lack of enjoyment from those interactions. just no. doesn't need to happen. I don't know anyone on a bike who would nominate a shared path as their first choice. It's, it's the first choice in the context where there's nothing else available other than riding on the road Absolutely. with car traffic, but um, it's not like they'd say, oh, this is, you know, would be my, my preference. dream coming through. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> At some stage, I, look, I think part of that, we've got a particular problem in Australia. I mean, we've spoken around it a little bit. We can be a little bit hyper masculine. I mean, just look at the design of our cars. You know, what we call them, the predator, the raptor. <laughs> I mean, and this, well, we live in a built environment full of masculine design. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. This, and this is one of the symptoms of it. People feel unsafe in the public space. Absolutely. And look, that's, Lauren, this, we're going to put a link to your work on the web page, are we, on the podcast? Yeah, we yep. will. Thank you very much Excellent. for coming in today. We're running out of time. Thanks for having me. But um, we will put a link up to the latest article on conversation, the conversation and maybe the earlier work too yeah, um, so people can I'll make sure I put the free that. links so they can access it. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And great. I'll put a link up and listen to a wonderful, I'm not sure if you ever listened to The War on Cars, but um, Leslie Kern has written a book called Feminist City about designing cities. I'll put a link to her very good interview, 40 minutes up on the, on the uh, podcast as well. As well as, Faith, a lovely podcast on the international conspiracy of 15-minute cities and where did it start from and why is it part of the Great Reset? (laughs) If only. (laughs) It's a fascinating history. I I knew most of it, but, oh, God, it is really quite interesting. It involves everybody. I think that's all we've got time for this week. Coming up next is... Shebop. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. 
For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.